listeners, it's Taylor. Before we kick off, we want you to know that the opinions and discussions that take place on Lace and Debauchery do not reflect the opinions of The Rip Bodice in any way. Lace and Debauchery, as a podcast, is an affiliate of The Rip Bodice, which means we can earn a commission on the books we sell during our time as podcast hosts. You can find our affiliate link to buy romance books in every episode description, as well as on our website at laceadpodcast.com slash buy. Thanks for your time, and now for some debauchery. Hell yeah! so excited to introduce today's guest for the episode. Sabrina Blackberry is a fantasy author from Central Missouri. She has a love for morally gray characters, faded love with a touch of magic, and passionate women finding their place in the world. When she's not writing, Sabrina enjoys adding plants to the collection on her front porch, sewing for the local Renaissance Festival, and hiking. I am so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Sabrina is an absolute joy to talk to. I feel like we covered so many different aspects of the fantasy genre and her book, Dirty Lying Fairies, is absolutely fantastic. I cannot wait for you guys to listen. Love you dearly. Enjoy the episode. Okay, well, hello, Sabrina. Hello. Hi. It is so nice to see you in person and see or in Zoom and see your face. I feel like I don't know. We've been talking about your book so much. I feel like we already kind of know you. I'm just so excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. Let me pull up my questions because I've been wanting. We had an hour in between our last interviews, and I just kept talking at Piper about all the Easter eggs that I thought were in this book. And there's political intrigue. There's like scandal and all this stuff. And she's like, yes, there are all these things. And I'm like, I love it. Like we have a whole list of like all the characters and like who's who's mated to who, what like they're, who's on which court. We're we're all in. who's actually a fae, who's not. There's that gif or that picture of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with like all of the- Math. Uh, like, the, the, exactly, like the math and the lines and he's trying to figure, that was that was us essentially. I love that. Okay, so actually we'll get into that later because I do want to start way back at the beginning. I want to hear about like how you got into reading itself especially because I feel like there's something so special about not only like dirty lying fairies but like your approach to writing fantasy I feel like it's like very respectful of the genre and you have a lot of knowledge of the genre and you can tell when you're reading it so I want to hear about what you read growing up and then also like what made you not want to just like read more but what made you be like actually I think I can write this. Oh my goodness. Okay. So when I was a kid, my number one author was Tamora Pierce. So I was a high fantasy girly, you know, if she wrote it, I read it. And (laughs) so that was the beginnings of that. I also got really into the Hobbit. I cannot tell you how many times I read the Hobbit, you know, and I, I love the Hobbit more than the trilogy. And I know Mm -hmm. not everyone says that, but Bilbo is an introvert from the get go and he doesn't get quote unquote fixed by the end. No, he's the, he's the way he is. And I love that for him. 
I love that the hero is not this super charismatic whatever person. He's like, how did I get involved in this? Yeah, exactly. I love a story where that that really grasps onto that reluctant hero. I love those. You do such a good job with that in your in your book too. Like I think Thea is just Thea. What the fuck? Like I am just doing my best. Please don't put me in charge of all of this. Yeah, poor girl. It just all worked out. She has just had, I mean, what a, what a year. So you started with The Hobbit and then what made you actually sit down and be like, I'm going to start writing? Yeah. Actually, it was, it was a Tamora Pierce book where I, and this was a, a little bit of a disconnect, a time jump after it. But the first moment that I think it started, I was reading the Kelladry Quartet that she had written. That specific character really resonated with me. And I remember reading, I think it was the second book in that series and I finished it and I had a moment, I put the book down and I thought, wow, what a cool job to just write things that make people happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's where it just snowballed. And so how old were you at that point? 13? There's not many more things in the world I would love to read than like a 13 year old's writing who like is a budding fantasy lover. And then knowing that they become like a successful fantasy writer in the future. What made you get into writing for Wattpad? What was that like, the impetus into going into that realm? Well, I'm a longtime NaNoWriMo writer. And at some point I was on the forums and I was like, oh my gosh, no one ever reads my stuff. I'm too afraid to give it to anyone but like my sister. So mm -hmm. um, I, I read about Wattpad somewhere. Somebody was talking about it and I'm like, oh, I could put it on the internet and strangers could find it. And that'll get me over that problem real quick. I'll let people read it then. So yeah. really it was, it was a tool to make myself let other people read my work. And the first thing I wrote on Wattpad was Dirty Lying Fairies. So to have that also be your first experience with like publishing your writing, that must have been crazy. What was that like? What was the reception like? Gosh, I had a lot more nice comments. It took a while before I got mean things. So I was oh, already amazing. like, yeah, yeah, move on. I don't think anyone read it until I had at least like five or six chapters written. But you post them one at a time. And uh, I was like, well, I might just be doing this for me, but here it is. And so what was the change that happened between you writing it on Wattpad and then you actually going through the publication process of now having like a literal physical book to carry with you? Oh my goodness. Well, it was definitely hard. It's a lot of work going into the editing process, but it felt very good to get it done. Like mm -hmm. going to the gym, I don't want to, but then when you're done, you're like, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that was necessary. It was it was a lot of work because I also knew like, oh, well, that's a first draft on Wattpad. And it, and it reads like a first draft to an editor who's like, well, I want to talk about this and this. But <laughs> yeah, is it worked out? Was it hard for you to kind of go through and have someone say like, this is not working in the story? Or were you like, okay, like, let's get rid of what we need to get rid of? What was that like? I kind of had a feeling I knew what I would want to either change or fix. And mm -hmm. the editor's had the same things they were like so this area and I'm like I knew you were going to say that it was okay I did not have a negative experience where anyone said you know maybe we should steer away from this and it was something that I cared about so the right. things I wanted in there are still in there things that needed improvement we were on the same page about that so it really worked out on my end before we get into the meat of the book what were some themes that you were drawn to when writing this because there are a lot of really high fantasy elements you have the political court system where each different court has a different relationship all of these things so like what when you were when you started writing it what themes about fantasy did you want to cover and bring out in this? So I think the very first thing that stands out is I wanted a character that has to kind of find her place. I love finding your place. 
Mm -hmm. I love being shoved into a situation or a world and you have to figure out how you're going to fit into the rest of that puzzle. So that was very primary on my mind for that story. And I find that with fantasy novels, I sometimes have trouble where the main character knows nothing about the magic system. And then like the entire book feels like world building because like they're trying to figure out how their powers work. But I feel like you did such a good job of A, making Thea just absolutely shocked every time she finds out she has a new power. And then she's like, if to kiss people, like I really don't want to be kissing anyone other than Devin. And I, I loved it. It felt so organic and necessary to the plot. I just, I thought it was so brilliant. I, I'm so happy to say that eventually Thea can get enough of a hold that she does not have to kiss every single person for everything. Exactly. Ever, so. And I think that's probably good for Devin. I think he'd lose his shit if she kept kissing random people. <laughs> Taylor and I were talking about this and like Taylor was saying the beginning of the book where Thea starts noticing Faye. Faye. She was like, that's so similar to like the beginning of Harry Potter when the Dursleys are driving around and they're like, why are people dressed in costumes? It's like discernibly different different but I feel like you reward the audience with these small little like easter eggs of like different things that like growing up that I loved about each of the fantasy books that I read was that something that you wanted to include like a little bit of the homage to some of the fun ones I definitely wanted to take the feeling that certain scenes like that made me feel like Mm -hmm. okay well this character has to go through this it may not be the same situation or world or creatures but like it made me feel this way so right I think you got it I think you figured me out Actually, going off of that, I wanted to ask you about the way you structured this and like your process of writing. Because like we said, we spent a lot of time going back and forth, like about drawing these intricate plot lines together and like mapping them, figuring out whose intentions were right, whose intentions were wrong, who you could trust, why they were, why people were being deceitful at first, figuring out that it wasn't for nefarious reasons. It was for like, you know, X, Y, Z. Did you outline this before you started? Or were you just like having a good time writing? And then you're like, wait a second, I think I got, I think I got this like really deep, complex plot hidden in here. And then like fostered that. How did that work for you? It was so much closer to no thoughts, just vibes than I really should admit. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. And, and I love stuff that. got shaped better later, obviously, but I would have a thought in the middle of writing like a paragraph, a sentence, and I would be like, oop, get, get the notebook out. I just realized something. So there was a lot of that going on for sure. But I love that. I love that you were like focusing on having fun. And then from there you were like, oh, actually I'm smarter than I even gave myself credit for. Especially like not knowing who the big bad was. I was was like so stressful. Even like Georgina, I was like, she's the villain. I bet you, I bet you, I bet you. And then she had her nice moment and I was like, damn it. I also love how you play with the faded mate trope because like I've seen so many issues, like people who take issues with the faded mate trope when they're like, this is so rare in books like they'll be like this is the rarest thing it rarely ever happens anymore and then like everyone in the series has a mate and you're like what do you mean it's rare if these like four randos who i met at the beginning of the book all have mates so i loved that the reveal is that the mates are like it's the mating bonds are so strong at this gate and that they've been tamped down so the lore of it being rare is actually completely false. Were there any other tropes that you wanted to like play with or subvert while you were writing this? I mean, one bed, I love one bed. I do too. I rang that out as hard as I could. All the one bed I could fit in there. That's what I love about romance and fantasy is that when you find these tropes, you're like, yes, like they love this too. It's such a good feeling. 
I liked that she turned, they were, they had that string that pulls them together being faded. And then she didn't have any like animosity or like mm -hmm. anger, really. It was more like intrigue. Like she was very intrigued. She was very curious. And I really liked that. Is that like something when you were writing Thea, is that a character trait that you really wanted for her was to be like, kind of down to go with the flow of like what was happening around her. Even like at the beginning when she's like, I'm looking around and I'm seeing these people with like horns and I'm seeing people with blue skin, like something's not right. And I love that she was like, I know something's not right here. Yeah, she's definitely got an inquisitive nature. And so things are not going to be just that black and white to her. So while she might be, you know, stuck in a situation she wasn't expecting with the faded mate thing, she can't really put blame on Devin. They're both stuck in this. He's just more, you know, ready to accept it because he's yeah. known about it for his whole life. Right. And she hasn't. So she's not ready to completely block out and resist something just because it's unknown or strange or different different from what she expected it to be and she's such a good friend too like she she is always like worried about heather or candace or alan like even in like times like she has a line and i can't remember what causes it but she's like oh my gosh i'm being such a bad friend to candace and devin's like well you just found out like you just turned into a fae like give yourself a break but like i love how and and how much she respects the court too like when she with devin she's like i, I want to take this slow because i don't want i don't take becoming like lady of the winter court lightly i want to do this right and i just i really respect her did you have any ins specific inspirations for writing a character like that? Or was it just something that you felt like you hadn't seen? I It might be closer to, I just don't see it very much. I, I think people take the term strong female character in a very physically strong way. And there are other types of strength. There are other types of people who are able to adapt and change and, and fit into the situation as need be without being aggressive or assertive. And those things are okay, but I wanted something different, so. Absolutely. There were plenty of opportunities for her to become like, almost like a damsel, right? where like she needs to be saved. And then she ends up saving Devin in the end. You know, he gets hit with the iron and she's like, kiss me. It was so refreshing to read, especially because like you do run that gamble with some fantasy where your main female character is nuanced, but in a way where you're like kind of frustrated with her half or like midway through where you're like, what are you doing? Stop. And like Thea, the whole time I was like, she's a fucking badass. No one can stop her. She's her adaptability is her best characteristic. Did you see any of yourself in her or was she a fabrication of your imagination? There's probably a piece of me in all of the characters, all of the main characters I've written so far in the series. And they're all going to look extremely different because I might start with an aspect that I'm like, oh, you know, this is a re relatable thing to me. Now let's develop a character around it. So I might not be exactly like Thea, but some, some things about her, I appreciate her for she's her best friend is candace thea is not a candace so she is something not. Candace. what is your writing process like and what was it like when you were writing for wattpad and publishing it online and now transitioning the books into physically published books what has that transition been like and what does like a typical day of writing look like for you so i do now that my son is in kindergarten kindergarten we get to get to sit down and write in peace it's not something i used to have i would have to steal moments you know at night or him and dad went to the park let me get some words in so it's much mm -hmm. it's much easier now than it used to be I, I outline more now than I ever used to. I would write down important events or things I wanted to happen, but it doesn't mm -hmm. mean I knew scene by scene what was going on. 
now I write the summary before I start writing the book and it might change as I write the book, but I've got the summary down and I can work with that. So if I'm ever stuck with what do I do next, I can look at that summary and think about how to accomplish that. Yeah. Like what you said about going to the gym. I feel like that's how I feel about outlines where I'm like, I don't want to do this, but I know I'm going to feel so much better three weeks from now when I know I had an idea and I can't remember what I was thinking about. And I know it's in the outline. Mm-hmm. or how to get there right like if you know yeah. you have this big idea in the end and you're like I just don't know how to get there yeah outlining is a labor of love speaking of that like did you know from the beginning that Artemis was going to be your big bad I did I did know that yeah so that was always and the thing about it is she had her reasons for trying to do what she did mm-hmm. you know some people get mad and key a car some people get mad and plot genocide and that's just how it goes it happens it happens and actually that was another one of my questions because i thought that i keep bringing up the relationships between like the courts and all of those things the interlacing of mystery but i also loved how you like very slowly painted the tension between Faye and changelings not only the tension but there was this dark underbelly where like things were not as they seemed and perhaps there was more to this how did you work on after when it especially came to like publishing it and doing the changeover into getting like a physical book, did you spend time refining these relationships to kind of build that mystery out? Or was that like something that you had in like the very first versions that you were working with? I feel like it definitely got improved upon in the edit. My editor knew what I wanted out of those characters or scenes. So I'm like, hey, if you have anything that you think would help me to do this better, let me know. So I'm very open to any suggestions. And so she was very helpful in that aspect. I love Um, it. I hope it just enhanced everything I already had. You did it like breadcrumbs, perfectly scattered throughout to culminate in this big event where you're like, this finally makes sense. I've been wondering about all of these things and like why changelings exist and who Artemis actually is. She lied. Oh my God. This means that everything we've been told has been a lie about who she is. It was super fun, super fun. And was that something that you were like, when I write, that is that is a, something that I always want to include is like these intricate plot lines. Is that something that you wanted or did you want to focus more on the romance aspect? I like strings from here that don't connect until chapters and chapters later. I had never written mm-hmm. urban fantasy before this. I am a high fantasy girly and some, I, okay, so this was a dare on the, NaNoWriMo forums I didn't know what to write one year and somebody was like oh tell us what you write and the person below you will tell you what you're going to write this year for something new and I was like I like a challenge bet so somebody's like urban fantasy paranormal romance I'm like great so I started watching movies and reading books because I was like I gotta get a better grasp on this and then I started Dirty Lying Theories and then I failed Dirty Lying Theories almost immediately I was like this is not the year but I kept writing it because it was fun and it was hard for me to take on something that I didn't usually do that much with but I had a lot of fun obviously because here it is because here it is amazing and like did it take some of the pressure off because it was it was a dare like you were like I have no idea how to write like I've never done this before like this is such a kind of random fun thing did it take the pressure off or did it add a different a new kind of pressure I think it took the pressure off I was like "Eh, I think I grasped it I'm just gonna do it however I do it and that's what the end product is gonna be is what I end up with that's so cool 
have you continued doing NaNoWriMo or are you doing it this year? I am doing it this year. The last couple of years I kept trying to start and I would fail because I had my son, you know, we had a lot going on in our life. Yeah. This year he's in school and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it this year. I love <laughs> Nano. I live for Nano season, but I only win like half of them at this point because of this that's okay speaking of you also are you now have a writing career and a child and like coming out of like the pandemic and like having to be stuck at home like all of these things failing is is okay because you've succeeded far in like so many other ways you can go back to it like failing at nano does not mean there that you now can never write on that again so exactly do you write full-time now or do you have another job or did you transition from one job into writing? What was that kind of like career path like for you? Well, so Dirty Lang Fairies is in the, what is called the paid stories program on Wattpad. Mm-hmm. It has been there since the beta phase. Like they wanted it. I was like, sure, have it, go for it. So I made a little bit of money off of it. I don't make like a full career worth off of it, but I made a little mm-hmm. bit of money off of it, which was a nice side thing while I was working full-time uh, mm-hmm. in a clerical kind of work. And I did that for a while, had my son, was still doing that for a couple of years. His daycare was actually closing down and I wasn't handling that super great. I definitely <laughs> had some postpartum problems, course, like a yeah. full two years of that. So the daycare closing down was just really a last straw for me. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And daycare here is expensive. So it, we figured out like we can make it work, just quit your job and take care of him, which Did it give me more time to write? Not necessarily, but it made me stay home. So I don't have other responsibilities. So now the more and more he does going to school, for instance, Mm -hmm. I have more and more time to just write. And that's definitely where I'm at now. And I can't see it changing. It's this is it now. This is where we're at. So and you feel like you have like a good, comfortable schedule and a good routine. Yes. All of that. I know for writing, that's like one of the most important things is that you can sit down at like these hours and actually sit down and churn out writing versus it being like, am I going to get five minutes where I can maybe like fix this one scene? Exactly. You played the long game and it paid off. Did writing help with your postpartum journey? Was it, there? did you find it therapeutic or was it, did it add more stress? I think it would have been a big help. It was a big help. It was writing is mm-hmm. one of the things that bring me joy and in a really dark or anxious place. Anything that brings you joy is the right answer. So I could prioritize doing a load of laundry or I could write for half an hour. You know what I mean? And that was, it was never the wrong choice to get some words in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, I don't have kids, but as someone who's so excited to have kids, like I just see the work that women mothers especially put in I really commend you for taking the time for yourself and to grow your own passions because that is so important and you're modeling such an amazing thing for your son you have two more books coming out in the next I guess two years dirty lying wolves and dirty lying dragons yeah uh, have you started on those yet oh they're written they're on Wattpad so here they are thing I had already had them written. They're already in the paid stories program. Had offered me a three book deal. So all of those are going to come out. And I think I got a three book deal because, well, I don't know. I'm not even going to pretend to understand. But the fourth one, I just finished actually last night. I finished. I might write another aftermath chapter, but like it's on Wattpad. Congratulations. Oh my God. Congrats. What's that one called? Dirty Lying Sirens. My (laughs) sirens are not mermaids though. They, They are underwater. I will say nothing else though. (laughs) Well, productivity for the next four days is going to be out the window. But yeah, exactly. 
for good reason. I love that you are continuing on with the series. You said you wanted to do an aftermath chapter. And then is that it for like the Dirty Lying series? I don't know. Probably not. So Dirty Lying Fairies was supposed to be a standalone. And then people started being like, oh, what? when's book two? Are you going to start book two? And I was like, what do you mean book two? There's no book two. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, if I write another book with the end, Devin, I think I'll ruin their story. I I'm done with what I wanted. So the mm-hmm. world gets a whole lot bigger starting in book two. Dirty Lang Dragons opens up to, there's hints that there's other creatures in the world. Well, now you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of the other creatures in the world. For part of the book, they go back to Seattle and you see most of the fairies cast again and <gasps> see what they're up to a few years later. So they're oh, definitely involved. And then you see some of the dragons cast in wolves and a couple odds and ends characters. You know, Sirens is probably the most disconnected to the other books, but mm-hmm. they are there. And then I don't know what I'm going to write next, but whatever it is, I'm going to try to steer it back closer to Seattle and not the middle of the ocean. So do you want to stay in the same universe? Like, do you want to keep writing in the same world or would you like pick a different universe, but stay in obviously like the PNW Seattle area? I like this universe, all these books. I like being able to interact with my side characters and already having those established rules. I've spent a lot of time establishing rules of creatures, so I might as well keep playing in here while it's still fun. I don't really have an end in mind, so I have no idea when I'm going to stop with this one. Maybe when I run out of ideas. If I did a new universe, it would not be in the Pacific Northwest. I would probably, if I do more urban fantasy, it's coming closer to home. I'm in Missouri, so like the Midwest area is obviously more familiar to me. So probably Mm -hmm. that's where I would go next. Did you spend time in the Pacific Northwest or did it just kind of come to you? Did you have to do a lot of research on it? Well, a little bit of both. I did have to do a lot of research on it because I don't live there and I've never lived there, but I've had family there. So I've spent like a summer up there Mm -hmm. every once in a bit. If it would rain every day here, that would be great. Yeah. It doesn't here in Missouri. It does up there. It rains a lot. And I like that. I had to do a lot of research though. Did you know that there is an octopus sex show around Valentine's day in Seattle? No. At the the aquarium, there's some octopus that gets in the mood around Valentine's day and they have a show about it. And that's the kind of stuff you find out when you're Googling Seattle. You're like, okay, I'm not information I needed. And now I'm cursed with it. I actually read a book that's, this is kind of weird. I read a book about they studied the octopuses at the Seattle Aquarium. It's called The Soul of an Octopus. It's a whole book about octopuses being one of the most alien, incredible creatures. Yeah, I bet you it's the same aquarium. And I bet you, because they have like, it's all this whole program that's dedicated to like the octopuses who live there. So I bet you that it's the same place. I had no idea. I That's the most Seattle shit I've ever heard in my life. Right? <laughs> like what? the most PNW thing I have ever heard. Also, I love that. Like I, I completely agree. I think the setting is so fitting for it's the fantastic. world. The PNW is a beautiful place for a fantasy novel. It's brooding and it's mysterious just in like the nature of it existing and it's deciduous and foresty and of the earth. And it's weird. So, and it is weird. It's, yeah, it's perfect. I'm really stressed about this octopus sex show, but I'm gonna look it up and I'm not gonna stop. Like, I'm gonna watch it. So, if this is still do it, I hope I they do too. I mean, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna Google it from like six something years ago, but like, I hope they still do it. If I ever go visit Seattle, I'm gonna go to the aquarium. You should and be Plan like, a trip. do you still have that octopus that gets frisky around Valentine's Day? Sorry, I just Googled it. This is the headline that I just read. Seattle Aquarium cancels Ox- octopus sex act due to cannibalism concerns. 
I'm sorry. Oh no. That's the most so octopus and Seattle <laughs> shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Aquarium staff say they're afraid that their male octopus, a 70 pound cephalopod named Kong, is too big for the females who are 30 to 40 pounds and he may eat them. I you wish know, it was the other way around. There's probably a monster romance out there for that though. 150%. A big oh ass octopus. I think we have Kraken. We have Kraken romances in the store. We do. So, like, and I know that squid. Katie Roberts, she has her deal with a demon series. And yes. I know that um, Kraken is the next. second book is the, is the Kraken. That's perfect. Oh my god. Actually, kind of speaking of that, because like I always wonder with like when fantasy series, if there's ever like an adoption where you get to physically see it, would you want the phase to be like if you ever got to see your book happen in the real world, would you want the phase to be like scary, almost like intimidating looking? Do you want to be more literal in how the phase are translated into the real world or would you like to say more animated sexy fun mysterious kind of looks like humans or whatever that is a good question i've i've already settled it like if i for some reason got an adaptation somehow that is their version of what i told so if i'm not mad about it now i can't be mad about whatever they come up with like it's out of my hands don't i love it but oh my gosh i i think probably they even if they look pretty they should look ethereal they shouldn't really look human that's why they can glamour they're like weird looking and then they disguise themselves to the unassuming humans around them they don't know what's really there next to yeah. them so also oh yeah God. i can't wait because i want to see like how you've described dragons how you describe wolves because like, i'm sure are the wolves shifters yes the dragon actually is also a shifter because that made it so much easier to deal with <laughs> sizes <laughs> and buildings and everything yep. else so yes, yes. i mean yes. I, I don't know have you read the dragon's bride i have yes yeah that's like i d i was not aware that he was a dragon the whole time so like when they're having sex, he's a dragon. And I was like, okay, got it. Got to get used to this. This is a lot of information that we're having. I love um, it. Yeah. It is not so quite that foreign of a situation because yes. he's got a completely human, mostly like 99% human exterior that he can be in. There's like levels to shifter romances. And I feel like this is very palatable for people who are like, maybe have like, just like the regular old fantasy reader who like, doesn't realize that yeah when you get involved in a katie robert book that you're actually getting like dragon porn yeah uh, which is great for people for everyone basically but yeah, yeah. That, that you've went for the more like familiar route i always think that's a it's safer very, better bet i think it's both entry-level fantasy because it's set in the real world and entry-level some people don't consider it monster romance but my baseline is just not human man that's that's my baseline yeah not exactly <laughs> I say that though, but then like, you know what? I'm not even gonna say that, but anyway. So for the most part, for the most part, non-human male is the direction that we take this for the most so part. In so in Dirty Lying Sirens, is the main female character a siren or is the main male character a siren? The main female character. So actually somebody on Wattpad was like, someday I wish you would have to where the female character is the you know, creature, and then the male character is a human. And I was like, you know what? Bet. So I did it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes! Incredible. I love oh, that. You're like, I'm up for God. that challenge. Yeah. You're like, I was hoping that would be the case. Wow. I'm so excited to read it. Yeah, and so well, excited for you. Thank you for giving me more reading content. <laughs> oh, so much. You enjoy that. She is I, a hot mess. Oh, yeah. it's even better. 
even better. Congratulations on all of this. I mean, the fact you literally have a physical book in the world and it's just the beginning. Your support system through Wattpad and like I read your acknowledgements and everything. It seems like you have an amazing community of people around you who are supportive and lovely. Actually, I was curious in your dedication page, you say to your upstarts. Yes. Who are they? They know who they are. They Okay. They know who they are. Okay. I love it. It does say, you know who you are, stay troublesome. I love that. And I was very curious um, and intrigued. So I love it. I love it. And I love that you, that it's nebulous. It's not a huge secret. Way back in the paid stories beta, we all had a giant collective discord and we called ourselves the upstarts because we kept asking questions that would make work for HQ. We're like, Hey, what if we want to do this? So that's what the upstarts started as. I love it. That's amazing. A group of women being mischievous and the best. Yes. And some dudes. <gasps> even better yes love it. give us the whole gambit of people i love it oh my gosh well thank you so so much for talking with us and congratulations on your book and honestly might be back to talk about dirty lying sirens thank you so thank so much you for this podcast this was amazing yay and i will be listening like i said i caught up and now i'm just a listener now thank you so much and, now, and we're readers now so it's perfect perfect Sabrina, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Lace and Debauchery is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.